0: Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Life and Books and Everything. I'm Kevin DeYoung. Glad to have you with us. We are thankful for Crossway and their sponsorship of this podcast and want to mention the new book just released from Ray Ortland in the the past few weeks or months, The Death of Porn. It's uh, Ray, a seasoned pastor who is writing a a pastoral and in some ways fatherly book to men to speak to the ever-increasing issue of pornography and its addiction. So check that out, The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland. We have a special podcast episode. Uh, we recently at our church, Christ's Covenant, held a faithful conference, which is our annual conference, and this year our guest speaker was William Taylor, who is the senior pastor at St. Helens Church in the financial district of London. I've known William for many years and have been over, and they have, he and his wife, Janet, have uh, wonderful gifts of hospitality, and I've stayed there along with many others. And uh, about five years ago, my whole family, we had six kids at the time, stayed there for the better part of two months. And uh, when you're living in a a flat in london with another family and a gaggle of children safe to say that you you have some bonding and so uh we we are very fond of the Taylors and had wanted them to come over to the states for some time they were supposed to come over last year but of course they couldn't with covid and in the uh in the lord's kindness the very day of their flights turned out to be the very first day that the u.s was allowing British citizens into the country. So they arrived recently, and as a part of our conference, I conducted an interview with William, and we want to play that for you. Hopefully you will be edified to hear about the work of the gospel in London and in the UK. William is a key leader and encourager there among conservative Anglicans, and not just among the Anglicans, but gospel, men and women in gospel churches of various denominations in the UK. So hope that you benefit from this interview and this conversation with William Taylor. This is always great fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for the person I'm interviewing or for the rest of you, but it's at least great fun for me to get to interview people that I know and like and respect and can learn from and so we're going to spend till about 8.30, if that's okay, asking questions. I say we, but I guess actually I'm the only one asking the questions. And we will have some life, some ministry. We have time. We'll talk a little bit about books. Some will be serious. Some will be less serious. So, William, thank you for being with us. Let me ask you a less important question to start out. Could you explain England, <laughs> Great Britain, the United Kingdom? What's going on there? Are you three countries? Are you one country? What is happening you there? You
1: missed that, the British Isles.
0: Oh, then the British Isles and the, Isles. And the Commonwealth. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 we don't
1: need to go into the Commonwealth. No, England count. is England, it's just one country. Great Britain is England, Scotland, and Wales.
0: But sometimes in some sporting events,
1: United Kingdom yes. includes Northern Ireland, it's a, political alliance, it's a political thing, and the British Isles is the whole island of Ireland, including the Republic.
0: So in the, the World Army. Cup, it's just England? In football. Yes, right.
1: And in rugby. Yeah. And in cricket. It's just England. It is. And Scotland is.
0: has a team? Yes. Yeah. Of
1: course. Yes.
0: But what about the Olympics? Then it's Great Britain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't think we can
1: beat the world in everything. No. (laughs) On our own.
0: On your own. So you need then you need as many as many Many countries as many people as As we can can. get
1: hold of. Okay. Okay. Many of them, you know, were born in the Commonwealth, and have decided to take up, you know. Wasn't it?
0: Boris, who said after the, uh, maybe the London Olympics, when you were winning cycling, you were winning rowing, you were winning, he said, anything that we can do while we're sitting down, we're really quite is, good at. Is that, is that right? <laughs> so, very good. Uh, so, tell us a little bit about yourself, where are you from, uh, how did you become a Christian? So, I was born
1: on a small working farm right down in the west of England, um, you sometimes see detective Series on Cornwall is the place that I was born, and it was a family farm, so we did all the work and everything. So that's where I was. I was born. My family were uh, Christian, but very much formally so, in a very kind of English way. Uh, the church was Church of England was poor. Uh, I don't mean impoverished. It was a poor church. Didn't really get much gospel there, but in that part of the world, they went to the local church. Um, I became a Christian. My grandfather was, in, in those days in England, a well-known evangelist. And I was staying with him for a period when I'd, I was at boarding school. And I was encouraged to spend a little bit of time away from the boarding school for reasons which we we needn't go into this, this,
0: e- <laughs> this evening. Were you a naughty boy? <laughs> um,
1: I, I think I think it was both the naughtiness and a desire to ensure that I graduated um, without being <laughs> removed. Yes, so okay. so I, I spent a time away and then came back for a day in order to graduate. So, but when I was with my grandfather, who had been praying for me all my life, he took me, over the course of the, the, the three or four days, uh, and, and finally on that Saturday evening to John five twenty four, and that's where I surrendered to the Lord Jesus. There then began a phenomenal battle, because I didn't realize the gospel was Jesus Christ is Lord So I really Mm -hmm. responded to, I'll talk about this tomorrow morning, but I really responded to Jesus died on the cross and loves me, but I didn't respond to the lordship of Christ. And so my first two years at university was, you know, massive, massive battle. Were you going to surrender everything and take up your cross and follow? And so, and you know, praise God, he had hold of me.
0: And if you go to, in the States, if you go to Harvard or Princeton or Yale, you just kind of never... You sort of leave that out. You don't want to seem pretentious. So you went to a, a little school called Cambridge. You won't, you won't say it, but I'll say it for you. Is that where you met Janet? No, I met Janet. At Janet. This is a shocking
1: reality. Janet does not remember this, but the first time I met her was at the back of St. Helens. Okay. But she, that didn't feature in any of her memories, uh, <laughs> where it was a big in my mind. And, um, and then uh, we didn't get married. I, I sort of had always thought I would like to marry Janet one day, but uh, didn't, it didn't happen until, you know. The, so when the, did you get
0: married? In 1990. 1990. Tell us about your three kids.
1: Well, Emily is 27, married. Her husband works in one of the church plants from St. Helens. They're very independent, the churches, so he, he works there. Emily teaches. Digby is our next son. He is married, and uh, he lives just around the corner. They both live just around the corner, and uh, Digby and Naomi. Digby works in the field sports industry. He shoots things. He, he And fishes. He's yes. a passionate fisherman. And then, uh, praise the Lord, all three of them are clear and committed Christians. Um, and then Archie is currently... Uh, in a regiment called the Irish Guards. He's in the British Army. So,
0: And you served in the Army? I did. How, how did you get there? What did you do? I was in an infantry regiment
1: that was formed in the American war of independence who called won? the 60th, who won? I think we let you win, didn't we? I mean, it was one of those ones where you perhaps were, it was only were, England. Perhaps it was only, maybe we should have spread been- spread a bit thin. We, you we were, were spread horribly thin. <laughs> The empire, yes. Yeah, anyway, so it was, it was a terrible time. No, but um, you didn't
0: fight in that war. I was no. not
1: part of that. But um, the, the 60th American Rifles became you know the, the 60th and then, and then the Royal Green Jacket. So I was an infantry officer in the British Army
0: and you served toward the end of the Troubles in Northern Ireland? Yep.
1: we had, I was in for five years, and we did a tour of Belfast and, you know, so all of that stuff. Was, sort of
0: was it still quite dangerous in parts? It, uh, it was, it was
1: quite dangerous. I mean, we had a very, in those days, um, the intelligence was very, very good. And so you would always know when there was about to be something to happen, and they would actually, in those days, take everybody off the street. Um, our group worked both all across the whole of West, West Belfast, so we, we did the whole piece, and we would often be the first people out afterwards. And it was, I mean, it was, you look back on it now, you know, the, the, if there was something about to happen, the Catholics would cross themselves oh. as they passed you. And uh, that was always a little bit unnerving. A little bit of a tell. <laughs> a little bit unnerving. But, but we had a quiet tour, which was.
0: Okay. Uh, I've, I've been to Belfast a few times, maybe I even went. With you, or you, you, set up with some group over there. That's right. Yes, and they say, "Oh, by the we're putting you in the most bombed hotel in Europe." That's right, but it hasn't been bombed recently.
1: I, I know, and uh, you know, the troubles have been. You know, it's been. There's still stuff going on, but it's a lot quieter. And um, my old fort that we
0: stayed in has been turned into a
1: supermarket.
0: Oh, very good. That's
1: something, isn't it?
0: It's so. good. So uh, we we mentioned earlier in the introduction that you had us stay with you. Thank you for that. But you've had many, many people. In fact, rare is the time, I think, when you don't have someone staying in your flat. Is this something that you and Janet talked about before you were married? Did you you both come? How, How are you both so hospitable? Is it something cultivated, or it just comes easily to you?
1: I think Janet is a great hostess. That is true. I think the church were very brilliant in um, managing to get hold of a house that is on five floors. The top floor is a flat permanently lived in by a ministry couple in the church. The next floor um, is a, a flat where when we, children were growing up, there was a bedroom for, for our daughter. But there was always a place there. I started at St. Helens, which was a big church at the time, age 37, and very, very raw. I wasn't like somebody like you who had had a lot of experience. I was very raw in gospel work, and I am so thankful that we've had, been able to have people, and it's, it has so enriched St. Helens, Yes, and I think things in the United Kingdom because we've been able to say to people, come stay for seven weeks with your six children. What was it you said? It was a great test for us all. <laughs> for us all? That's what you said. I mean, I, I, mean, I thought primarily the test was in, in this direction, <laughs> but it was a great, it was, a, it was absolutely, one, it was one of the happiest periods. Of the last twenty years, I mean, we look back on it with such joy. We used well, to have must, them- I just
0: said there must be thick walls. You didn't net, hear. it. they
1: were all up on the fourth floor, and whenever we were in in the evening, we'd have all this family down, and they'd sit round our table in the kitchen. We'd feed them hot chocolate, and I'd spike their chocolate with endless spoons of sugar. It was (laughs) just such, I don't, I can't think how any of you slept at all, but it was great fun. But it's been very enriching because these kind of, what I call them, gospel triangulations, you know, we've had very strong relationship with Sydney, a very strong relationship with South Africa, people in Singapore, um, many, I mean, here now in America, that's begun, you know, developed a lot more. We've had people like Mark to stay, who's coming next year and stuff. And it's just been very rich for us as a church and for the English evangelical scene to be exposed to people who are be, who are on the same page, doing ministry. And it just is very yeah. enriching. And it's been good for us because I say I was clueless, and I used to have these people down for supper, and I'd just, you know, just grill them. <laughs> what do what you do? And what do you do? You know, because it was very all very new for me.
0: Well, it was, it was delightful to stay with you. Just one more thing about your, your house. So how many of you have, I'm going to out where he lives, everyone can go find his place. Now, any of you have seen the movie Christopher Robin, Any of the Winnie the Pooh movie? That's where William lives. Tell us about that. It really is.
1: Yeah, it is. So I can't remember the guy who was act, Who was the act? I mean, you Ewan McGregor. That's
0: the chap. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. We passed him in the street. Janet was going, that's Ewan McGregor. I didn't know which one. He was with three or four people. I have not got a clue who he was. But anyway, there we go. He, he, the, it was done. They closed the whole street off. They put, you know, like they do when they're so filming. So those
0: white row houses, very English looking. It's filmed.
1: Yes. It, it's in quite a number of films. And so is St. Helens. So outside St. Helens is Leadenhall Market which is the opening scene of the Harry Potter film. So where he gets the
0: wands. Where he gets the, the owl right
1: and the magic yes. and all that sort of stuff, yeah, so.
0: Oh, you just have it all over there. Was the Biltmore, did you just think, eh, we have castles? It was really very impressive. We have, we have pretty trees It was, no, it was absolutely true. I thought the art
1: inside was amazing. The garden was great. I just thought it was wonderful. It was a great
0: treat to be Well, there. so glad you could go. A couple more things about yourself. Uh, you're obviously uh, busy hosting people from all over the world and preaching and doing things. You must do something for fun. What What do you do to let your hair down, such as it is?
1: <laughs> we still have a. Um, we still have the farm down in the West Country. My mother lives there. My father died five years ago, and we have we have we built a house. In fact, I said to Janet after we came back from Biltmore, we woke up the next morning. I said, "I'm I'm so sorry, darling." I didn't build you a house with 63 rooms. <laughs> but we did build a house on the farm. Do you know the bathrooms don't work in Biltmore? She said, quick as a flash, but our bathrooms work. Well,
0: that's very good. Said, anyway. room, yeah. So we
1: get down there. I fish and, you know, join Digby and the sort of things he does. But I also, I go down there, and that's where, you know, we do a lot of our relaxation on that's the farm.
0: That's good. What, what is the most interesting and the most boring American sport to you?
1: I enjoy watching American football. I mean, it is great, and you, how those guys? In fact, on the plane, over, on the way over, I don't know if you've seen the, um, yeah, you the Mighty something. Orphans, the 12 Orphans, I mean, it was, it's a great. It's not American football. Yeah, Ameri- not American football, it was, so I enjoy watching. I mean, baseball uh, uh, um, just goes on forever, but then I enjoy watching cricket, and that lasts five days, so I can't, <laughs> I can't really. But, Baseball, you don't know what's happening.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, last question, we'll get to, to ministry. What's the, uh, you know, in America, we like to hear what other people think. Is it, is it still, when people hear you're going to America, they say, oh, that's great, or watch out, you're going to get shot up. Or I, I was on a, on a plane one time, and there was a, a woman from Germany there next to me, and just making small talk, and she just said, and I, well, I was in the States, or she knew I was from the States, and she just said, you want to know the two things that's wrong with your country? Well, of course I do. That's what I was hoping. She so said you have too many guns and you don't have enough trains. So, oh, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. We, we, I reckon we do have more guns than trains. But what's what's the general I, not sentiment? Comment don't, don't talk about either of those no, things. No, but... I'm
1: not going there. I'm not going there. No, I, I think we admire the. I mean, the Americans are remarkable. I mean, and it's and so generous. We have a lot of Americans come to St. Helens, so it's not an unusual yeah, thing. Right. We've got several Americans on the staff, you know. So we're, we're at ease. And you think the
0: accent is interesting? American accent? I
1: think it's very interesting. People say to me, "You're all," and I'm looking around going, who else is here? Or, you know... <laughs> you you, you, you want to from... go out of the bathroom? And I'm thinking, you well, know, I think I've you know, had a shower this morning. Yes. I don't need to take a bath. I don't need to take a bath. But, no, generally speaking... We we love. I mean, we love coming. It's Janet's first visit to America, and um, I love coming here. And people are so generous and so friendly. Yes.
0: uh, In 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 England, they wear well sweaters. Sweaters over, but you call them jumpers, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's unusual. Jumper is what little kids wear with have little footsies, So when I would say the you know meet the the vicar and he's in a jumper, I'm just picturing something different. I don't wear that. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't wear a jump. And the word pants A onesie. is different. I'm in, not, I'm not, I'm not, yes.
1: Do you have onesies here?
0: Yes. No, onesies. I don't wear those. Yes, very no good. Anyone. Okay, Jumpers. Jumpers. All right, St. Helens. This was the parish church of William Shakespeare. It How was. old is St. Helens? 12th century. 12th century. Yeah, the
1: oldest bit's the 12th century, so it is quite old. I'd say um, so. The, We're celebrating
0: uh, our 40th anniversary. <laughs> It's very good.
1: Yeah, well, that's wonderful. No. I mean, that's great. But, I mean, there are lots of problems with an old building. You know, there, there are big problems with it, although it, it was bombed in 1992 by the IRA and again in 1993, or was it 91 and 93? And um, so we were able to do a lot then before I came, thankfully. I used to go to St. Helens in the 1980s, but... Um, and then came back as, uh, to on the staff and then as the, rec- uh, as the rector there. But uh, that enabled us to do a lot. So the floor is completely flat. We raised it up five foot. Mm-hmm. Each few centuries, depending on where a church is at, the theology impacts the architecture. Yeah, yeah. And you can see that in England. You see when a church has been Anglo-Catholic, or if a church has been... You a know, gospel centered you have a
0: very high pulpit you don't always preach from that one not always
1: you? but often because we have a balcony and you can actually address people in the balcony much better from the pulpit but that there are there are a number of things so we were able to change the layout of the church very substantially which makes it much more flexible the church is 12th century there have been some remarkable times at st helens down through the century you look at the monuments you can see when they believed the gospel from what they said about their death, which is rather lovely. 17th century, Thomas Horton preached, and what is it, 50, 47 sermons on Romans 8? You know, and, it, and it's really, I mean, it's not the kind of preaching I would do, but it's good, it's good solid, yeah. it's very solid. Yeah. But it's good stuff.
0: And it's right there. Some I know some people have, I'm mm. sure, been to London. It's right there in the financial district. So, next to the Gherkin, the one that looks like a big pickle.
1: That's right. So, there are tall buildings all around us. Many it is of, called the Gherkin. It and is. The cheese the grater. grater. They all have yeah, yeah, weird yeah. names. They have, you know, the, the, the scalpel, the, the walkie talkie. But they're all there. It's, a, it's, it's less banks now. It's mostly insurance, a lot of law, lawyers, things connected with insurance, a few banks. They're all there. And you know, pre-pandemic, there would be 500,000 people within um, less than a square mile of St. Helens. So it was among the most densely populated areas in the world in the working day. And so you can imagine the evangelistic opportunity of that is
0: huge, huge. Yeah, so back up a little bit to your predecessor. Yes. Uh, many people here would know of... Some of the great post-war leaders mm-hmm. in evangelical evangelicalism in England, Martin Lloyd Jones, yeah. uh, was in London you know, from Wales, but was in London, Westminster Chapel, and people would have read some of his books. Certainly, John Stott and his commentaries also in London. But but the third, really, of the the, the three giants, probably less known to us, but mm. is your predecessor, Dick Lucas. So tell us about. Dick, he's 96 years old. He That's still right. lives next door to you. What was the church like when he came, and what has been his impact on St. Helens yeah. and abroad? Massive.
1: I mean, the church was effectively um, derelict when he came. There were six in the congregation. And this is what year? 1961. 61. And There were six in the congregation. One was Christian. There was a choir paid. Right. And that was it. And, but there were praying business men in those days in the city who were wanting to evangelize their friends and so they'd been asking dick to come and do occasional talks for them and that increased and then saint helens came up and um, they applied and dick just he said well i'll i'll fill in the application he really didn't expect to get it he got it and then you know, the work grew, and at its height, there would have been sort of 50, 500 business people on a Tuesday lunchtime coming to hear the gospel. Now, a lot more people went to church in those days, but that's, they would be coming in. And he is an absolutely brilliant expositor of Scripture. So Dick would say that John Stott and a guy called Alan Stibbs really modeled expository preaching. Um, That is where your preaching comes out of the text rather than using the text as a springboard, what I call trampoline preaching, using the text as a springboard to teach whatever you want to teach, whether it's your doctrine or the point you think the congregation needs to know. So Dick really developed expository preaching and really focused on England initially and you know the growth in um, amongst evangelicals in England. You know he was profoundly influential in, which is why I guess he's slightly less well known globally, because he focused very substantially. And maybe didn't
0: him. write the. Did write he's, commentaries he's, like Star. He or is the, not a writer. I mean, he's books like Lloyd Jones. No, yeah. he's
1: absolutely not a writer. And he will write a script, then think I've changed my mind, and <laughs> scrap it. Or then think it's not good enough. And um, anyway, somebody else, he's very humble. You know, and then he just, he, 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 he's not a writer. But you can find his sermons on the website. I popped in to see him. I mean, he is still recording material. He still works, you know, three hours a day, four Single, hours a day. Never, Single, never, never married. Got married. And he, he I said to him, because he, he won't talk about himself, he's just impossibly difficult to talk to because he always wants to know what you're doing and tells how Kevin is because, you know, he's very fond of you, Kevin, and uh, so forth. So I said to him, what are you working on? He's he's doing a recording on Matthew 11, um, come to me all who are weary, and the stuff is, you know, riveting. So he he gave me a like 20 minute exposition as I sat there. I wish I'd had a notebook.
0: With with Stott and, and Dick Lucas, both single, of course, thoughts with the Lord, was that, uh, was that something of an ideal for that generation that they thought to really serve the Lord, we were going to be single, or is, is that making too much out of just two anecdotes?
1: I think there was in the ministries from which they came, mm-hmm. uh, and I was part of that for a period. If you want to be really very keen, you know, the highest is to be single for the Lord, and though it may not have been taught explicitly, I think the great models w- were, and I don't think that was healthy. Right. Um, and I don't think it was healthy for me, and I don't think it was healthy for, for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, that that is to, you know, I don't want to speak ill of right. that work, because so much good came out of it. Um, Dick, actually, so I've interviewed Dick, I've done eight one-and-a-half-hour interviews, mm-hmm. and... Um, in one of the interviews, he says, "You know, my, I come from a long line of bachelors, and bachelor, <laughs> bachelordom. I mean, not that long, obviously, <laughs> right. otherwise there would have been. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard. It's, we weren't to into come that. from a
0: long line. No, he
1: doesn't. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there are many bachelors, Our car family yes. has many bachelors. Yes, this is why you enjoy asking the questions. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. So, anyway, he comes from a family yes, where right. there are many bachelors. His brother was a bachelor, so you know." And and I don't think, I think he is some, you know, he he didn't want to get married, so.
0: Yeah. And you were preaching here tonight, and it was wonderful, thank you, and preaching and speaking about the realities of eternal punishment, which you do at St. Helens, and we know that you've written a book about biblical sexuality, so you're very clear and winsome but firm on that issue, and you're also, the church is complementarian in its view of Men leading in the home and leading the church. Does this make you very unpopular with Londoners or even more so perhaps with some in your own Anglican communion? What what do people think of when they think of this retrograde movement going on at St. Helens? Mm.
1: And what is interesting is that the churches that are growing in England, uh, there are other churches that are growing, but the churches who are from you know, normal, classic, evangelical position, are growing yeah. and planting new churches. Now, I don't think the world has noticed. When the world notices, it will get very, very uncomfortable. But I don't think the world has particular... I mean, they do know. <laughs> In the city city establishment, one of the old city boys came up to me the other day, and he said, uh, I was doing some civic thing, he said, you have a reputation, you know, I didn't ask him what it was. But, you know, so they, they know. Yeah. They know where we stand. And uh, at the moment, the world is kind of slightly... But the London Diocese the, is the, not very fun. No, no, no. It's the, it's the uh, Anglican um, liberal establishment really don't like us at all. Um, having said that, they are pragmatists and they want life and they need money. You know, and they're dying. So whole dioceses are cutting. So bishops have something called a diocese, right. you know, and that's an area. And they're cutting clergy numbers by 25%, for yeah. example. And so when we, we plant churches, and we plant churches in other people's dioceses, that's the best fun, is to do <laughs> not like just it. in somebody right. else's parish, but somebody else's diocese. So you go into another bishop's diocese, and you plant a church, that's good. And we have done that. And I have been met by not only the incumbent of the church, but also a lawyer to try and prevent us starting a new church. And then when the... These are, ch- these are church, people, church people trying yeah, to stop you from you starting say, look, a church. Yeah, look, right. The population of your parish is 10,000 people. How many come to your church? 150. Well, we're trying to reach the 9,000 right, yeah, whatever, like, right, right. I can't do the math. One thousand eight hundred and fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. So we're trying to reach those guys. So we're not a threat to you. You know, wouldn't it? say? So. But then, but what's interesting is, as those churches grow, classic English establishment, they then come to you, the establishment, and say, "I wonder now if your churches—this is ten years later—might like to join the diocese." You know, because they they want the growth
0: and so forth. So say a bit more. What is the the spiritual state. I know you don't know the whole, but, but you are very well connected in St. Helens' is, with the gospel partnerships and proclamation trust and a lot of, not just Anglicans, but broader evangelical mm. movements. Well, well, are you encouraged by the gospel work going on in England? We, well, I think we probably have a, a picture here of there's just hardly any good news to mm. speak of, or it's, it's, it's incredibly secular. And maybe both those things are true. I good think both those again, things secular.
1: are true, but I think there is a hidden work going on of faithful uh, men in gospel churches with men and women serving the Lord, which would have been unthinkable 30 years ago. Uh, And you you kind of think, what is the Lord doing? You know, Dr. Callum Brown wrote a book called The Death of Christian Britain, you may have come across it, and he charts the decline of the mainline denominations that are liberal, And basically, you know, no longer gospel churches. And, of course, you know, if you're a banker who doesn't believe in money, your bank is not going to do very well. (laughs) And if you're a Christian who does not preach the gospel, you're going to go down the plug hole. Over time, it takes a long time, but that is happening. And in some ways, I think, well, thank God, because you're only doing people damage. And quietly, there is... Now, the numbers are, are tiny. The numbers are tiny. But quietly. So I try and pray for the London pastors who I know on a Saturday. And back in the day, you know, when I was in the 1980s in the army coming into London, there would have been possibly three churches. One might have four, one might have gone to and think, well, I'm going to hear. No, I didn't know all the churches, but. Now, you know, there are 30 or 40 pastors. I'd be very happy to go and sit in their church and hear a really good sermon yeah. in London. So it's patchy. Some parts of the country, alongside that, the free independent church, the FIEC, Independent right, right, Churches, yeah. have grown, again, tremendously. And so the FIEC, the independent evangelical churches, have grown remarkably. And there's a guy called John Stevens, who kind of heads up that right. we have great friends we work very closely together he's doing a fantastic job
0: and do you work with with some of the the Presbyterians? so we have, we try have not Matthew to. i know you no, try not to we have ben trainer from yeah. the ipc in presbyterianism Matthew is Roberts. yes it's very it's very small you've got to get Paul Levy out here oh, well, that, i know Paul, yes yeah,
1: but no, we, we do and and we have something called the gospel partnership so We work within the Anglican, something called Renew, which I'm very involved in. But we also set up the Gospel Partnerships. And the Gospel Partnerships is churches of all types. Anglican, F-I-E-C, Presbyterian. I'm so pleased to see you've got Mark Dever coming. You know, it's just wonderful. So that we're all Gospel people, and we would say, okay, as a partnership, well, we will try and plant churches together. And St. Helens, we would send people to an independent evangelical church if the guy is a gospel man, and have done. So we've helped people start churches from different... And I think that is can only be good and yeah. healthy.
0: You've been to America before, but you follow a lot of things. Does, does America strike you as very Christian compared yes. to... yeah, yeah, very,
1: very, very. Yes, very, 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 yeah.
0: uh, in what ways? How, how, do, you, how do you churches. sense churches? There are
1: churches everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable. You know, you go around a corner and there's another church. And it's, from what I understand, is people actually turn up. You know, if you do a leaflet (laughs) campaign or something like that, it it must be changing. It must be changing. Right, it is, yeah. Um, And and you get that sense. But in England, because of an established church, um, which is so dominant, the Church of England, and because liberal rationalism through the german universities came into england in the mid-19th century we have had 150 years now
0: is that what you say 150
1: years i would say we've had 150 years so i said you know somebody's never heard of abraham you know i'll be talking to people reading john's gospel with them and you know they they have not the first clue about jesus they know nothing nothing and um, so we've had 150 years. Whereas I feel if you come to America, even if you go to New York or Seattle on the, on the east or west coast, the person probably has had a grandparent probably. who was in touch with authentic Christianity. And so I think some people don't realize just how rich... You know, your even your mainline denominations. Okay, they may be all off the off, off piece now, but it wasn't. And also, you've not just got one dominant Church of England. Right. You've got Baptists, and you've got
0: yes. I, I, you know, peop, it's easy for people to uh, conservative Christians at times to disparage. Oh, the Bible Belt, and all there's mm-hmm. hypocrisy in the Bible, and all, all of that's true, of course. There's nominalism but what a heritage and, mm. and we still have quite a bit of it yeah. in charlotte charlotte's changing too but what what a heritage to mm. be lots of non-christians but as you said usually they're not 150 years no. distant from authentic christianity there's a parent or there's a grandparent that and church. there's you know 15 good pca churches in town and many other good Baptist churches and, and all sorts of other yeah, churches. Yeah, and I yeah. think we just, sometimes we, we almost in America, we almost wish it away like, oh, it would be just so good. It, really, it, it wouldn't. I mean, let, let's let's make sure the churches are really authentic and the people are really Christian. But there's something very rich about that heritage. And mm. once you lose it, it is very, oh, very back. hard to yeah, ever yeah, yeah, get yeah, back. Yeah. So you're here talking about evangelism, and we have so much to learn from you. I'm glad you're speaking three times tomorrow. But... Talk about this resource. You just alluded to it. The word one-to-one, this is a guided read through John's Gospel, chapter 1. One of the things you pick up about William is in St. Helens, and it's all of, it really is all about the Word. It is about it is. reading the Bible. It is. So, you actually… Okay, different context, and maybe if you do this here in Charlotte, people say, I already know all that, but, but you actually… And people, they go, you talk to neighbors and say, would you like to read the Bible with me? And sometimes they say yes. Mm, That's right. Wow.
1: So I do actually believe that the Word of God is the key to all ministry. You know, if you want a silver bullet, that is the silver bullet, not anything else. And if you're going to train for gospel ministry, it's the Bible. And if you want to train, you know, if you want to grow up as a disciple in Christ, it's the Bible. And if you want to evangelize, it is the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, now, that is not, a, I mean, it seems a sort of, such a sort of basic thing to say, but then what does it look like in practice? So, in all my personal evangelism, I have read through the Bi- John's Gospel with people inquiring, and I've done it with endless people. A businessman came to me and said, I want to do what you're doing. Will you teach me? And he did it because he'd taken his colleagues to kind of apologetics things and eventually one of them said to me why don't you just tell us what Jesus actually said (laughs) and and, you know they'd been to endless other things but so he said will you teach me I thought I was going to give him three sessions on how to um, on on how to read the bible one-to-one with somebody after the third session he said when are we meeting next and then and next and next and next and it then transpired that he was going home and writing up what we'd been doing, it doing, and then he was going to his colleagues as if he were having a business meeting and presenting them with two sheets. He would have one, they would have the other, and working through it as if it was a contract and saying, here's the text, you know, let's work through it, and using the stuff. So eventually, I ended up dictating this to him and then gradually, gradually worked up. Now, what you've got here... And Jonathan, I'm sure, will say something about this. But you've got the text on one side, questions on the other. So you don't have to be a Bible teacher. You can be a
0: Bible sharer. And you have more of these? This is John 1? Have...
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we, it goes right the way through to yeah. John 21. Yeah. Because we think, I think, this is the tract, one of the tracts God has given us. I think it is John the theologian, actually, who is teaching us. And I think this will train you both in, 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 to become a Christian and it will train you in discipleship. And so what, what Richard did was simply lay it out. It's done beautifully. And you both have a copy and you say that people are doing this all over the world in Starbucks, in, you know, it, where, wherever, in their offices, um, you know, after school, you know, mum's going out and so forth, all, all over the place. And, and in, in, it's been translated into Chinese and all, in Mandarin and so forth. So, but it's, it, it's, you sit down, you say, right, read the page, and you read the page, and then have you got any further questions? And did you understand what it said here? Okay, let's turn the page. And it's extraordinary. Reading through John's Gospel, I suddenly find halfway through, I'm reading with a guy at the moment, he was ex special forces. He's just, you suddenly realize he is actually now a Christian. Mm. And what John says in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, I've written this that you may believe, God's been at work. I, I believe when you are studying the Bible with one other person, there are actually three people in the room. And it's electric. Mm, God is mm, there mm-hmm. at work.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really wonderful in in. Let me ask a follow-up question. So you are a very strong personal evangelist besides preaching evangelism. Some of the other ministers I know who are really good at personal evangelism, Mark Dever, Max Stiles, Eric Russ, who we brought here, and you all know Eric and get to know Eric. I've seen him. One of those things that all of you men have in common is in a godly way, you're confident. And I would say all of the... You're outgoing, energized by people, extroverted. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to let people off the hook. And yet, you must have people come up to you and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very quiet. I don't, I don't love to meet new people like you do, yeah, William. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what does it look like for someone who doesn't have your personality? Often. Often.
1: And I think people who are very quiet probably find me a pain in the neck. And so I say to somebody like that, God has made you the way he's made you. And you will find that there are other people like you out there.
0: Who don't want to meet with William. Who don't,
1: who really, you know, the thought of meeting with me, they would rather, well, I don't know what they would rather do. But, you know, so, and, and some, funnily enough, some of the best evangelists at St. Helens have been timid as a mouse, mm. courageous as a lion. One of the guys said to me before I left, this lovely guy, an Indian guy, I said, I'm speaking on this, you know, uh, what, should I, what should I say to them? And he said, be bold and leave the rest of God. <laughs> and I think, I think I can talk about Hannah tomorrow. You know, she went to Lovell's as a lawyer, um, it was a big law firm. Timid, timid, timid. But actually, she had the gospel. And so there are three people in the room, and she found she would find other people like her, and then we encourage people who haven't got friends in the same sort of way. Why did not you join a club? One of, our, one of the ladies on our staff is absolutely brilliant. Women work. She works alongside uh, us on the staff. She's fantastic. She joined the local gardening group that looked after the local area. She's now evangelizing two people from that group. One of them is Profess Faith, I think. But she, she was saying, oh, I find it hard to make friends, blah, 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 blah. So she joined the local. Another girl has joined um, a craft group. You know, just so... And you suddenly find, actually, there's somebody else who's a bit quiet like
0: me. And... That's good. I told this, told this story before, I'm sure. But the, the pool that I swim at here, there was a woman... I mean, I have to go out. That's how I meet non-Christians. And I'm not as good an evangelist as you are. But this woman was next to me, and someone said... Oh, you're swimming next to Kevin. He's a pastor. And she, she said, I'm not religious. <laughs> and I said, that, that's okay. And she said, no, I'm really not religious. And I said, that, that's okay. Can I, can I still swim in the, in the lane next to you? She said, yes, but I just want you to know I'm really not religious. And I finally said, I promise I won't baptize you here <laughs> next to you. We'll just swim next to each other. And so uh, I should be... It's, it is harder, my excuse is, it is harder to evangelize underwater. It is. <laughs> yes, it, it is, is harder. But <laughs> easier to baptize. Easier to baptize, yes. So you just crossed the threshold into 60. Yeah. And you have been uh, in ministry for three decades or more now. And what sort of reflections do you have on endurance in ministry or what sort of things... Would you want young persons here to know, maybe they're considering vocational ministry, maybe it's a pastor, but it could be men or women thinking about counseling hmm. or, or campus ministry, or simply they're working their job, but they want their life to count for, for the gospel. What, what sort of things would you want those young people to know?
1: I think one of the most important lessons for me early on in leadership at St. Helens was working through 2 Corinthians and those caught what i call the causal clauses the so that, that god deliberately keeps a person weak uh, in order that the glory will always be seen to be his and you probably sit here and think oh kevin you know see him on sunday and all the rest of it um you can be sure that god will deliberately keep his gospel workers weak there are these three causal clauses <laughs> Uh, I almost despaired of life itself, Paul says. This happened so that. He put this treasure in jars of clay so that the glory might be seen to be his. I will boast all the more in my weakness um, uh, so that the power of God might rest upon me. And I think it's really just very helpful to know that. I think if you don't know that, Hmm. you look over your shoulder and think it's going to be easier somewhere else. So that's one thing. The second The Word of God really is sufficient. It really is sufficient. And as you teach the Word of God, God will train you, and God will keep you. There's the wonderful verse in 1 Corinthians 4, I think it's verse 8, if you put these things before the brothers, you will, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, if you put these things before (laughs) the brothers, you will be a good workman. Now, it then says being trained. Paul doesn't say, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good workman, having been trained. So what Paul's understanding is, is that as you do ministry, God will train you. doesn't mean we shouldn't go for specialist training and that sort of stuff, but actually doing the work, the Word really is sufficient. And at the heart of all the training we do, at St. Helens we do a lot of training, it is that the Word is sufficient, so get them into the Word. And if you think, actually, I know all that, then you've probably, then how can you say that about the Bible? I mean, it's, it's just an extraordinary thing to say. You know. No, if you think you know the Bible already, you clearly have not read it very carefully. <laughs> and you need to go back to square one and start all over again because you've just skimmed
0: over it. I mean...
1: Yeah, anyway, sorry, I won't go off Very on good. one on that. Yeah.
0: All right, we're coming up to our stop, oh, but yeah. I'm going to do lightning round with just some books. Oh, yeah. So you can just mention one or two. Favorite books on evangelism?
1: I still think um, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God is brilliant. It's out there. It's okay. out there. I ask for it to be there. Questioning evangelism, I think, is brilliant because mm-hmm. we're, I am too quick to tell people what I think rather than to ask them.
0: Very good. I told William before this whole talk, I said, I want you to channel your inner, inner American and just be happy to talk about yourself and, and just, you know, he said, do I have to cry? I said, not that kind of, I'm Dutch after all, so no. Uh, give us a, a, a couple of your books that people might want to look at that might be helpful. Well, I asked them to bring
1: revolutionary work here because I do think one of the biggest spiritual battles for a Christian is to realize that God has put them in work first as a christian before they are whatever they're doing god can raise up bankers to a penny i mean really you know bankers are so easy to find so and god can raise up surgeons just like that so you're not a surgeon who happens to be a christian god's put you there as a christian to do his work and his work is to save the lost So you're there first as a Christian, secondly as a surgeon. And if actually being Christian and evangelizing the lost in your hospital and so forth and helping the young guys coming in, young women and so forth, is not possible for you there, go and get a different job. Be a hairdresser. I think actually a hairdresser is a much easier evangelistic position than a surgeon. So for goodness sake, if you can't do the work as a banker because, you know, you feel you can't do it, it's not right for you, well, go and get a better job where you can actually do the work of God. Um, So... That's the sort of revolutionary work. I'm not for Jonathan's Jonathan, but I tried to write some very kind of topical books, but the other ones have been on handling the scriptures. So, um, yeah, you've got one there. So there's a series of Bible study, you know, meaty Bible study in Luke, in Romans, in John. Um,
0: uh, yeah. So read Mark, learn, which is a line from the Book of Common Prayer. It is a line it's just from the book Sneaking of... in some Anglican, but... but
1: also read Mark.
0: Yes. Learn. Right. Clever. So this is John. So it doesn't have your name on it. It's from St. Helen's, but but I know you worked on this. And people often ask me, yeah, what's what's a good commentary for helping me lead my Bible study for a for a layman, mm-hmm. and you know. The Stott series is often very good. These are really good for good. that purpose. Thank you.
1: I think, I think I mean, the thing is we never release one of those books before it's had two or three years in our small group system. So it's really been, work, that's why I tend not to put my name on it because I want, it has come out of the church. Right. Um, so that, that's, and what I also try and do is produce stuff that is sermons written up because I think you go and preach and you're trying to help somebody understand preaching and you want them to see other models. So I just try and. But,
0: uh, All right, we're, we're hustling on. Uh, one of your favorite books on explaining the gospel.
1: I still think John Chapman's book, Know and Tell the
0: Gospel, if you can get hold of I it. I don't think we would be familiar with Most people wouldn't. John
1: be. Chapman was a very famous Ameri- Australian evangelist, and he was absolutely brilliant. And Know and Tell the Gospel, I still think, is out there at the top. I also found Jim Peterson the navigator I don't yeah, know yeah. I found his book really helpful this was 30 years ago but he's still a, still about Jim Peterson I believe and his book on everyday evangelism is another I think really helpful one in in terms of just thinking about you may not agree with it all its theology but some of the stuff there on reading bible one-to-one with people do you
0: have a book for a a new christian discipleship after you say yes we're going to study john study mark is there is there a a secondary book that you give somebody that said this is a great book to help you just learn and grow as a christian no you don't no no i
1: I actually think the gospels are written with in i mean if you want to use seminary language with modules and i think the gospels train us in discipleship and i don't think we realize that's what's going on in the gospels this is a whole nother discussion but i think the gospels are training as they're presenting christ but they're also training us in discipleship so i think it's very important to realize that i would always give someone uh knowing god by general no i yeah. still think that's up there and the chapters are so short right and i'll often when i'm reading with a christian one-to-one say have you read this why don't you read this and then we'll chat about it just at the beginning while we're having coffee and then get into the bible
0: so, one time when I was there, I think you said this. I think you were talking about um, maybe what is the mission of the church or something. At that point, you had said something like, This is maybe the second best book I've had my staff read. Which yeah, was it's a, a great book. One no, of yours. Who no, wrote I, I know, I wrote it. But, yeah, yeah. but I'm getting to the other one. You said second. So I was like, Of course, second I'm vain. Is. So I think, well, Another was, one of mine. What was first? Just do something? No, it wasn't. It was the book, True Devotion, I think you said. Oh. Tell us about that book. We read it as a staff. No Alan one had Chappell. heard of, mm. of Alan Chapel, but it was well, really eye-opening, and we really enjoyed great it. Great
1: theologians. I think Broughton Knox at Moore College is one of the great theologians. He's unsung, but he was principal. He then, he trained a whole group of people, the Jensen brothers, um, John Woodhouse, Alan Chapel, David Seckham, they are all radical Bible thinkers. So they don't think, what was I taught to think? They don't even, I'm shocking to say, don't even think, what did they think in the 16th century? I'm sorry, they don't think that. They think, what does the Bible say? And Alan Chappell, very quiet, understated guy, wrote this book, True Devotion, and I found it magnificent. It's really good, Alan Chappell. And um, I met him and I said, You owe me a lot of money because all of your royalties, you know, really, most of them are as a result of me advertising your book. And he said, He said this, you just need to know, William, it's a lot harder to do than to write about.
0: Uh, I thought, yes. What a great, yes, and that right. gives you a measure of the guy. Yeah. And why should people read P.G.
1: Woodhouse? <laughs> P.G. Woodhouse, I think, will give you an insight into the Europe, the English. These are not Christian books. Someone's, no, no, PG, this is
0: my, my Bible study. P.G. No.
1: Woodhouse uh, is a com- comic, Jeeves and Worcester. It'll yeah, give you an insight into a very tiny segment of eccentric English society from 40 years ago. So It's very funny. It's very, it's very funny. It's very clever. It's very clever.
0: All right, last question. What is one truth or habit that the Lord has helped you secure or impressed upon you that continues to be motivation for you in sharing the gospel?
1: I think what we were talking about just earlier, you know, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter five, the love of Christ controls me for I have concluded that one died for all, and therefore the all have died, um, that uh, those who trust live. And I think as you meditate on the cross of Christ, on his love, and then in just a few verses later, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so I seek to persuade men. And I think those two things, I went to the Billy Graham Library today, and you just think, there is a man, you know, he... that that we must all appear before the judge. Think of the reality of judgment, and think of the beauty of the love of Christ, and I think those two things. And you notice Paul says, I have concluded, which means he's meditated on it. So if you're feeling dry in evangelism, meditate on the cross and on the reality of judgment.
0: Yeah, the line that I've heard and repeated many times is, we are all Natural evangelists for the things and the people we love most. Mm. You love your grandkids. You would you look at this picture of my grandkids? You get a Krispy Kreme donut. Would you? You have to. It's you know Tim Hawkins says it's just like a baby angel melting in your mouth. You have to try these things. We talk about the things we love, and if we don't speak of Christ, we wonder what's going on in that's right in our hearts. Yeah. yeah. All right. We will the Patriots. The what? The Patriots.
1: Aren't they the guy? Who
0: are the guy? What's your team called? Well, the the, the Patriots just beat the Panthers. Yeah, but your team. Oh, the Bears. They no, the also Bears. lost. Oh no, they're useless. Yeah, that was a, no yeah. no. That was yeah, a they're, very they're that was a very bad but, call but, but at the end would, of the game. You would be
1: a, an evangelist for that, but it's absolutely yes. right. You know, if we meditate on Christ, I'll talk about this tomorrow morning. As we meditate on the gospel, then um,
0: can, how can you not? That's right. Hmm. Wonderful. All right. We will be back here. Hopefully you can join us nine o'clock and you are dismissed. Not nine o'clock tonight, nine o'clock tomorrow morning. We will be here. God bless. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. I love to be able to interview people that I count as friends and know that I have a lot to learn from. And that's certainly the case with William. So until next time, hope you will glorify God enjoy him forever and read a good book